Uh, brothers and sisters, uh, those of you joining us by live stream, uh, evening to you all. We're going to carry on our series on spiritual depression tonight, looking at a uh, um, uh, subject I've titled The Victory of Faith. Um, I'm going to read a few passages of scripture, so the, 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 the passages that we will be focusing on mainly, two gospel narratives on um, Jesus Christ uh, stealing the storm, delivering his disciples from a storm, and then one, one uh, few words from Paul, Paul's teaching in the book of Romans. So, first Matthew 14, and I'm going to read from verse 22 of Matthew 14. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by the time but but the boat by that time, by this time, was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. When he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, and just verses uh, from, from 22 to 25. Luke eight twenty-two. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep, and a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. They went out and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. And then... Romans 8, and just a few verses from Romans 8. Um, and from verse 12, let me read Romans 8 from verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption 
as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children and heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Amen. Let me lead us in a word of prayer and then we'll head into our Bible study tonight. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you for uh, the privilege to come before you. Um, and thank you because you are a gracious Father who provides for your children. You provide all our, our needs. Um, and uh, there's nothing that you cannot give to us. When we needed uh, the impossible to be done because we had sinned against the Holy God and um, what we deserved was death and none of us had the power to conquer death since we were subject to the power of death. You sent the one who is life. You sent the Son of God. You provided for our need like you provided for uh, Abraham uh, need. You, you provide for Abraham on, on Mount uh, Moriah. You provided the, the sacrifice when Isaac said, um, where is the sacrifice? God provided a ram from the bush. And, and Christ is like our, our, our ram. He's, he's God's provision, uh, God's sacrifice. Uh, and the same way, the God who gave up his only son, um, you provide for us all that we need you. Um, you, you, you provide for us the, the food of your word that we need because our souls, our faith is sometimes, as it were, famished and in need of strength and vitality. And you provide the word, and so we thank you for that and um, the privilege of the word. Break it to us. Give it to us, Lord, we pray. Satisfy us with your living truth. Help us to know that you are building us up. You are maturing us. Uh, hear the hearts of your children. See us our disturbed hearts, our fearful hearts, our shamed, shamed hearts because of our sin, and meet with us, O merciful, holy God. Meet with us, we pray. Help me to be an instrument in your hand to um, point your people to the life that is in Jesus Christ alone, to his wondrous grace, the grace that uh, saved us, the grace that has delivered us, uh, and that will keep us for eternity. We praise you, O God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we are kind our study on spiritual depression, and tonight looking at the victory of faith. Um, and as you know, we have been doing that, looking through um, spiritual depression by Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, my elder, my uh, elder in our church, uh, Elder Andrew, called me aside on Sunday, and he was like, just a little, little note, uh, you've been saying Martin Lloyd-Jones is an English preacher. He's not English, he's Welsh, and he was a proud Welsh man. So uh, my apologies to uh, any Welsh folk I might have offended uh, for that misinformation. Obviously, he had an illustrious preaching career at, uh, at Westminster in England. But he's not English. He's actually Welsh, and I, I won't make that mistake anymore in the series. Um, but above all, he's a brother in Christ, and we love his, uh, his work on spiritual depression. And um, this is penultimate in the series. I will do one more. There's so much in the... Uh, um, in the book, of course, there's so much on the subject, even, you know, reading through Spiritual Depression by Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, obviously, it, it wasn't apt for me to really bring my own ideas to it or whatever, but it, it does have you thinking through uh, just the subject matter, thinking more and more of those things um, that you could add to, that are, that are the, the root of, um, of spiritual 
sadness, a lack of spiritual joy, and things that you could add so that the series could go on and on. And on. Um, and so, yeah, it's probably, we'll probably do a second part or something, a part two later on in the year or next year or something. But I'll do just one tonight and then one more next week. And I hope you've been encouraged by it. Uh, it I mean, it's a helpful activity anyway for us to pause and think through the nature of the spiritual life. And one of the things, I mean, this is like a personal thing for me, personal uh, experience just teaching the series is just a reminder that the spiritual life is real. And for us, I, I, you know, this is probably not a helpful dichotomy to be making, but, you know, even is more of more value to us, more importance than, you know, the earthly life. Again, I'm, I'm hesitant to make that dichotomy. But, you know, the, the things that we cite, really, things that we see that we often think, think are, are the main things or the priority, but actually it's, it's what we don't see that lasts. And um, it's the, that's helpful to have spent a few weeks just reminding ourselves of how real the things we don't see and how important those things we don't see are. And actually, it's a good uh, way to introduce the topic for tonight because tonight what I'm doing is uh, I've drawn upon a few... Um, Drawn upon a few of Milo Jones's uh, uh, teachings in the series, a few a few of the lectures he does where he's focusing on faith, so that you can make the conclusion that one of the things that, um, and I'll say a bit, bit more about this in a moment, one of the things that Lloyd Jones sees as very important and crucial is for for coming out of spiritual depression, for the dealing with spiritual depression, for making sure that we're always that we're walking in joy in the Lord, is you know just understanding the importance, the nature the exercise of faith, you know, he really stresses that. And as, as I will say later on, I think that's such a helpful corrective, I imagine. I think maybe in our circles it's a helpful uh, corrective as well. I'll, I'll stress that a bit more later on. And so, yeah, the victory of faith, as we draw to the uh, closing of the series, draw the, the series to a conclusion, I just thought, what can I draw out um, that is um, both prominent in the book and pertinent for us. And I think uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones' discussion on faith is one helpful one. And to do so, um, I've, I've read, I read in, in, in opening those two stories, those two accounts of Jesus Christ, you know, dealing with his disciples in the, you know, with a, with a, with a, uh, in the face of, of, of you know, raging storms or um, crashing waves and so on the walking on water and so on, and how, and Lloyd-Jones picks these two stories, and rightly so, he picks these two accounts to teach us something about faith, and rightly so, surely, because of how our Lord seems to summarize the nature of those experiences. One of them, he asks, where is your faith? When Christ is sleeping in the boat, the disciples see the waves crashing in, and they say, don't you care that we perish, right? And they're worried. Christ wakes up, stills the storm, and says, where is your faith? The second one that I read from the book of Luke, um, Peter actually sees Christ walking on the water, walking on water um, in the midst of the storm. He sees Christ walking, and he, uh, he, he asks the Lord to, to call him, bid me come and pursue. Let me, let me come and pursue. I trust you. But his faith fails. Doubt se- seeps in. You see him sinking in, and um, Jesus Christ asks, says to him, you of little faith. Right? So those two comments, those two gospel accounts uh, present helpful reminders to us, helpful instruction about the nature of faith. And so later on, I will um, be making some observations 
about some of the, the conclusions that Lloyd-Jones comes to about the nature of faith um, from those two um, accounts. And then um, there is the, 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 there is this other, I read also from Romans 8, and that's because in the book there's a discussion that um, Lloyd-Jones has on what he calls a spirit of bondage. So, you know, Paul says in Romans 8 that um, we have not received the spirit of slavery. The spirit of bondage is a KJV translation, at least. I don't know if there's any other translations that have bondage, but yeah, the spirit of slavery. And Lloyd-Jones dealing with the spirit of slavery, um, he, he deals with that as one of the causes of spiritual depression. Um, you know, at, at least this, still walking, if you want, in the spirit of slavery and not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit very often can lead folks down the road of um, experiencing a lack of joy. So what I'll do is explore some of that. So Lloyd-Jones' observations on the spirit of slavery. Uh, as the, uh, as the, make that our case study for tonight as far as causes of spiritual depression. And then um, suggest how faith is the key instrument in appropriating the strength, the grace that we need to deal um, with this issue of spiritual depression, right? So this particular case. So um, a few things, let's look at that then about the, the spirit of, of slavery. Um, so Paul writes to the, 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 this church in Rome and Paul's desire when writing to this church is to encourage them in Christian living. You know that a lot of Romans is giving to Paul, you know, um, proclaiming uh, the wonderful nature, the God-shaped nature of the gospel of grace, uh, the, the depths of the gospel, and particularly Paul stresses the, um, the, the, the way the believer is justified. Um, now, from like uh, chapter 6 onwards or so on, Paul reminds the believers that the, the, the wonder of grace does not then lead us to, you know, to, 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 to minimize the importance of holiness or holy living in the Christian life. You know, the, the Christian life is a, is a high calling, it's a life that calls us to be separate from the world. It puts us on this journey that is besieged by, you know, spiritual assaults from Satan, from the world, from our own flesh, right? Um, and... Lloyd-Jones suggests that when we, when we read Paul applying the nature of, of the gospel, applying it to the Christian life in passages like Romans 6 and Romans 7 and Romans 8, that it, it's because he, Paul knows that he's writing to Christians who, like Christians right through the ages, are going to struggle. So even Christians can struggle with the reality of the Christian life. Um, you know, Christians, and this can be almost, if you want, a cause of spiritual, uh, being spiritually down, not having joy, because, you know, life is, life for Christians can be tough. For those who claim Jesus, who profess Jesus, it can be downright heartbreaking to see the way that we don't often walk in the grace and the power that we desire to. You know, you think of in Romans 7 and the kind of stuff Paul is saying. I know folks have you know, so, so, listen, I think Paul's words in Romans 7 so at points are so dark that Christians have, have struggled to, Christians have questioned whether a Christian said this. 
whether Paul was talking about a pre-conversion life. You know, Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am. I'm carnal, sold under sin. My, my response is not, it's not, uh, not kind of like a knockout argument. But I must say, I think you're going to find many Christians who would say, I could say that as a Christian. I, I don't feel uncomfortable saying that as a Christian now. Sometimes when I prayed, I'm carnal, sold under sin. Wretched man that I am. Right? I, not simply, obviously, it's, it's, it's fair to say I once was wretched. Yes, I would say that. But sometimes you look at your life as a Christian. I've looked at my life at points in a Christian and said, oh, wretched man that I am. As in, not wretched man that I was, but wretched man that I am. And I think many Christians probably, if they're being honest, would say, yeah, I've, I felt that. I can see that. And that might be an argument for why, actually, there's no reason to question that. Paul is speaking about Christian life at the present moment. So the Christian life can be tough. It can be dark. You know, how many of us, you know, we can, we can face prolonged periods, for example, of a genuine yearning for the world. Things in the world are calling us. Um, you know, the rejection of the world has so much weight on us. Sin, sin never leaves us, right? It occupies us. Again, how many of us can say that as Christians, we cannot identify with Paul's words in Romans 7 about, you know, the things I want to do is, is not what I do. That, that I don't want to do is what I do. What, what, how many of us can say, I have no clue about that. That can't be. Even Christians can say that. You know, in fact, it's, it's when we became Christians that we become acutely aware of this tussle of not, of not doing what we want to do. So um, the Christian life can, be, can feel like a burden. You know, that challenge is there. It's present. Um, and to those Christians, Paul's kind of words of, well, more than encouragement, it's words of encouragement, but encouragement in the, in the, um, in, in the Christian, in Christianity is powerful. It's not mere, it's power. It's like real power. When I say power, I mean like supplied energy, right? It's the divine power, divine, a divine supply of energy. It's encouragement, but it's a divine supply of energy. This is not simply about rousing yourself up and so on. It might look like it, but it's more than that. Because the words that Paul speaks are promises, and, you know, when those words are spoken, what you're having is you're saying God is signing a check, as it were, giving you a check that he signed, can't afford. If, if that check bounces, that would be something, that would be an assault to the name and glory of God. And God cannot change, God cannot fail, God cannot lie. So these words are powerful. So when Paul says, like, to the, you've received the spirit of adoption, you have not received the spirit of fear and bondage. These words are words of power that the, 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 uh, the disciples at Rome must live their lives by. They must hold um, dear to them. And so Lloyd-Jones says, listen, for the Christian very often who is down because of the nature of the Christian life and the struggles it brings, one key thing that they must remind themselves is that they have the Holy Spirit of adoption. Another thing you might say, put it this way, they must ensure that they're not walking according to the spirit of slavery. And I think... Lloyd-Jones is right in saying them, that when Paul says, you have not received, um, in verse 15, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. That one of the things Paul is warning us about the nature of the Christian life is that very often Christians can go back to the spirit of slavery and that we must make sure that we're not living life according to the spirit of slavery. So we explore this idea of the spirit of slavery. What is this spirit of 
slavery. And this is the first thing that is so helpful. So the point being, very often we may be finding that we are depressed about the Christian life and that we continually feel weak in the Christian life or there's no joy and we're not, we, we, don't, we, we can't see that we're making progress or that this is going to end well in a sense. We can be there because we are living according to a spirit of slavery. And what does this mean, a spirit of slavery? To quote Martin Lloyd Jones, it's a spirit of bondage. It means it's the danger of having a servant spirit, a serf-like spirit and attitude. So Paul contrasts the way the, the Christian lives and feels about themselves and, and, and views their life as Christians and, and what, what this life is about and says, you don't view it according to the spirit of a slave, you must view it according to the spirit of a son. Because you have the Holy Spirit, right, who, um, who, who assures you that you are sons. By the Spirit in our hearts, we cry out, Father, is what Paul says, right? The Spirit, it's almost as though, like, when you have the Holy Spirit, it's almost instinctive to call God your Father. Like, that's how you must feel. That's, that's, that's how, that's what must reverberate. That, that's how you must, you must see yourself as a father. And so initially, this spirit of slavery, what's this spirit of slavery? Um, this, this, it's an attitude that turns Christianity into a, just a burden, a new law, a hairy yoke, right? And, and, and Paul says that the Christian life is not a, a life of slavery. This is the difference between the Christian and the unbeliever. Many people start the Christian race and they don't finish and they show that they never had the Holy Spirit because the time when they spend on the Christianity, Christianity is just like, it's like work. Many of you can relate to this now as well because a lot of you, some of you, you know you're doing jobs nine to five that you don't really like, it just pays. It's like all you think is, is if I didn't do this job, I wouldn't have food. So there's no choice. But you don't love it. It's not your dream. It doesn't exercise your best gifts. You don't love the environment. You don't care for it. You can't wait to leave at five and cut off from them. You see, when you see one of them, you bump into one of your workers at Tesco or an event, you're even depressed because they bring work energy, right? You, so, so some people view the Christian life like that. It's like, it's like something I took on and all there is to it is pressure and new laws now, you know, it's, it's, you have to live up to this standard all the time and it's a, it's a burden, it's a yoke. Christianity is like a challenge. Just, that's all it is. It feels like a child. There's no, there's no joy. And Paul says, that's the spirit of being a slave. You know, that's what a slave is. A slave is someone who has no choice. There's no, there's no freedom. When you're a slave, if you wanted to do something else, you couldn't. Very often you're doing what you don't want to do. I don't want to be here. And very often some people are living the Christian life like that. I don't want to be here. I'm enslaved. Uh, and all they feel is the burden. They don't feel... They don't feel like there's joy in it. They don't feel like God has granted them new desires for it. They don't feel like, uh, like God is their father, really. They feel like God is their, is their boss, simply their boss, their taskmaster. I, I know we have to be careful with our metaphors because, you know, for example, the Bible can also refer to the Christian as a slave at points, but we're not using it in that. This is a difference. This is the, using the sense that that metaphor of slave in a way more, in, now in a negative sense that the Bible does not encourage. We don't have the spirit of slavery um, but sometimes we don't, we, we, we don't realize that, we don't remind ourselves of that. And what Paul says is, 
you haven't received the spirit of slavery so that you fall back into fear. You know, one of the things the scriptures often say is that outside of Jesus Christ, men and, men and, men and women are really, really bound by fear. It's a writer to the Hebrews that says, you know, Satan wills the, you know, he, he, he controls men and women uh, because they are bound by the, the fear of death. Fear is a big thing that, that Satan used to control, uses to control men and women. Um, and, but Paul says, your Christian life, you know, is not a spirit of slavery. You know, the slavery, the slave, the, a slave can live in, lives in fear. Fear of failing their master and how their master would, would, would treat them. Think of this, a big house, a great house, where there's a man who has a slave and he has his own children. You know that there's a difference between how mistakes will be responded to, how failings will be responded to. There's a kind of fear that children have for their, their parents. Uh, but that child, as long as he doesn't have an abusive father or abusive mother, that child is not worried that when they make mistakes, this is going to be the end of my life. That in fact, that child realizes my parents will correct me accordingly for love's sake. They're not afraid that, okay, if I don't live up to this, not living up to this now, my, no food for me, no shelter for me. No livelihood for me. But a slave in the house does feel that way. That fear is pertinent. There's some things that the slave dare not do. Some places the slave dare not go. Paul says you don't have that spirit because it's, it induces fear. Now, what is this spirit of fear then that characterizes this life? Is another thing that uh, Lloyd-Jones explores just very hopefully. Um, in what sense does this spirit of slavery produce fear? So what does it look like? when we are living the Christian life, and this, a Christian can do this because Paul, don't forget, it's to Christians that Paul says, you don't have the spirit of fear. To Christians, that means, the point is, even though we have the Holy Spirit who's a spirit of sonship, because of sin, because of the weakness of faith, that's why later on I'm gonna stress that faith is the instrument by which we appropriate this, the Christian can be living the Christian life. So it's not just, I'm not just saying that someone who's, sorry, the Christian can be living the Christian life according to the spirit of the slave. I'm not saying that it's just the unbeliever. So the unbeliever only knows the spirit of slavery, right? But the Christian can sometimes walk according to the spirit of slavery. That's the paradox. That's the, I don't want to call it a paradox, but it's the, the complexity of the Christian life, right? You know, we, we tell people, we say, the Bible says, if anyone loves the world, they don't have the love of the Father in them. But sometimes a Christian can love the world. That's why there's an instruction, don't love the world. Same thing with this here. The Christian does have the Holy Spirit. And, and the Holy Spirit reminds the Christian that they are they're God's children. You're not a slave, you're a child. I've, I've called you friend. Slaves don't know what the master is doing. Um, but the Christian can sometimes fall out of that, start to live as a slave and walk as a slave and act as a slave. And when that happens, for whatever reason, because of whatever lights have been switched off type thing that needs that need to be turned back on, you know, the Christian can get into this place of depression because the, 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 the Christianity just becomes a burden, a weight. And so Lloyd-Jones suggests some things that, some ways in which this spirit of slavery manifests itself. He says one, um, so he asks the question, in what sense does this spirit of slavery produce the spirit of fear. He says it, it produces a wrong fear of God. 
You know, so you see in all those, in the four points I'm gonna list, it's, it's wrong, 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 wrong. Because there's a healthy fear. Again, this is the nature of, of this is why we read our Bible carefully, right? Because it's a healthy fear of God. Right through the scriptures, we are taught to fear God. But there's both a healthy fear and there's an unhealthy fear. There's a positive encouragement to fear God in the scriptures, and there's a positive rebuke to not fear God as well. There's also uh, perfect love casts out fear. And this spirit of slavery produces a spirit of, uh, sorry, a wrong fear of God. So we, we don't fear God as one who, because we, we're, we're, we, are, we are face-to-face with his holiness and his majesty, and we see those things as beautiful and worth adoring and preserving, that kind of fear, because we know his greatness. We fear him because we are afraid of him, because we suspect that he may, he, he can possibly not love us that he's simply just a, a danger to us. It's a wrong kind of fear of God. It's not a fear that comes mixed with and founded on love. Um, now, it's true that Christians do have to, Christians have to have a fear of God. In fact, everything I said could be, could be said positively. And sometimes you, you wonder, um, if there's not, if what we, where we err on the side of, on what side we err of. At least in church life, very often, you know, we, actually, well, both happens, right? You can, but you err on the side of, you go to some churches and there's no proper fear of God, as if God is not holy. You know, this kind of God is my homeboy kind of behavior. Like, there's no sense of the awesomeness of God, the greatness of God and His Word. That's, an, that's a problem. That's, that's, bad, that's bad practice. Um, that, 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 that births weak, poor Christianity. We don't want that. We need to have a, a certain fear of God's judgment and so on. And yet, um, there's another fear, a fear that says that, that God is so, it treats God as so distant from us. We don't know just how much God is familiar with his people in a sense, comes close to them. That's why we have to be very careful. For example, this is my pet peeve, but how you create worship services and the atmosphere you create. You see those two extremes. Some people in the worship service, it's purely um, kind of uh, almost uh, purely uh, trivial and facetious and playful. And everyone's joking around and that's purely... And you say, no, that's not right. But you go to some other people and it's purely aloof. And there's no warmth at all. And as though God is just far from us. And that's not the right spirit either. That's the spirit of slavery. Um, and sometimes people are living their Christian life that way, in the spirit of slavery, with this fear of God that is not a wholesome, godly fear. It's a slavish fear. It's a, this God just wants to do, God is just going to harm me. Hell's round the corner kind of fear of God. Um, so let me obey him. Let me do his will. Not because, never because I love his will and desire him. and I know how beautiful he is. Let me do his will. So it's the kind of person that can never believe that God can sympathize with them. They, they, they're even afraid, ashamed to confess certain sins, confess certain feelings, confess certain desires, express certain doubts, because they just can't imagine that God can be so condescending, so 
um, understanding. There's a wrong fear of God. He says there can be a wrong fear of the Christian life. Again, okay, so a wrong fear of the Christian life. Like the Christian life is too hard. It's too heavy. It's too high. It's impossible for me to carry on being holy like this. It's too much. I'm not going to make it. A wrong fear of the Christian life. Now, there's, there's a right fear of the Christian life that should have. Again, right, you don't want to go to the other extreme. Some folks uh, treat the Christian life like it's all, um, it's all, all roses and it's all, it's all sweet and all happy. No, there's no trials. There's no challenges. Like that Christianity is, is, is some popular religion. It's going to earn you popularity. That's unbiblical. That's not right. You want to renounce that. But there's also another extreme. That, that when, they, when we think of Christianity, you can't think of joy. It's wrong to think of joy. Everything is burden, burden, burden. They, they, don't, they don't want to speak of joy in the Christian life. Um, and it's a wrong fear of the Christian life. The Christian life is something that I just is merely come to be intrusive. It's the kind of thing where deep down inside you start to say, I just wish I had no light. I wish I never saw this. Because right now, this Christian life is just too hard to live. I wish I just, all, all I knew was my sin. I wish I was like that person and I didn't care about, I didn't have a conscience. A conscience that was sensitive to the things of God. A wrong fear of the Christian life. It's also a wrong fear of Satan, he says. It can be a wrong fear of Satan. These folks just become too assured. that You become so assured that Satan is going to defeat me. They see Satan everywhere, and Satan is all of a sudden stronger than them. Well, Satan is stronger than us, but we don't walk in our own strength, of course. And in, in, in the strength of Jesus Christ, not only is Satan not stronger than us, he's defeated, but these, folk, these folks are so afraid of Satan, and they see him everywhere, um, and they can't see how they're going to survive because they think he's, because he's so powerful. Now, again, we have to be sensitive to Satan's power as well. There's a right fear. If you want, there's a right fear of Satan, right? There's a, there, you know, I'm not saying Christians should be careless. There's a right carefulness not to dabble in anything demonic and to take sensitive how Satan can Im- involve himself in situations and tempt us and so on. But this is a wrong fear of Satan, one that basically begins to, at least practically speaking, one that elevates Satan to the... Um, to elevates him to the position of equal with God, or maybe just below, or he's just competing with God. Um, it's a wrong fear of, of Satan. And then he says a wrong fear of, of sin. It's a wrong fear of sin. Um, this sense of slavery is everywhere. This, this is someone who's ever conscious about their own sinfulness, always weighed down by their sin rarely having time to rejoice in, in, um, in the grace of God. Let's talk less of the common grace of God. There's nothing, they can see nothing, and there's nothing they can see good. They can't see anything good. Everything is just depraved and sinful. I remember someone, um, this was a preacher that said this here, actually, so my bad. But he, he remember he preached to someone and said, some of you, when, um, I'm not saying he has a spirit of slavery, please. It's just an illustration. But it says something like, when you see, when people see you, you say, how are you doing? You say, I'm good. And he said, how can you say that there's none, none good but God? You see, that's over, that's, that's, that's a wrong fear of sin. Okay? You can't say good day anymore. Um, right? Everywhere you're so conscious of sin. 
You no birthdays, you can't celebrate, you can't rejoice because you know, I'm just a sinner, I'm broke. It's a wrong fear of sin. Now, of course, there's a right fear of sin, and I feel sensitive to the fact that how many of us want to boast that we have the right fear of sin? You know? So there's one, on one side, there's a Christian who cannot go anywhere. They can't go to no parties. They can't go to restaurants because they just fear falling into sin all the time. But on the other hand as well, there's Christians who are not being careful, not being wise, and so on. Uh, but today we're talking about that wrong fear of sin that shows that this person is not walking um, as a, a son, not walking as a child, right? Um, okay, so I'm looking at my slides, and I've, I've, I don't know why, why, but I've actually I don't have one slide in there. Um, because the response to the spirit of fear is how you respond to um, this spirit of slavery, of course, is, as Paul says, by recognizing that you have the spirit of God in you, right? It's the spirit of God. That's what Paul says. So Paul says, you don't have the spirit of fear. You have the spirit of God. And we, we spoke about this a bit last week. Sorry, I'm a bit upset because I don't know why that slide is not there. It was a powerful slide as well. Anyway, we spoke about this last week. What we do have is the Spirit of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. So, so, for, so for the person who um, is walking in the spirit of slavery, Paul says, you have the Spirit of God. Now, what, is the spirit, what does that mean? A number of things. First of all, notice that in the book of Romans 8, what we are taught is that the Spirit lives in us. He dwells in us. So, 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 so God himself, the Holy Spirit is very God, and he dwells in us. He lives in us. He lives within us. Holy Spirit lives uh, within us. And the person has to remember that. I've got God's Holy Spirit living in me. And, be, and so because of that, because the Spirit of God indwells me, I don't have to walk in my own power. I have to walk in my own strength. So it's wrong for me to look at this Christian life and, and, and face it with, with uh, there's a right trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's a right, but it's God who works in you to will and do of his own good pleasure. The Holy Spirit. But what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit assures us that we are God's children. Right? So the person who's walking in this wrong fear of God and this spirit of slavery has to remember that because of the Holy Spirit, you know that you are God's child. You are not a slave in that sense. Your relationship to God is one of father to child. So there should be a delight about how you about doing the things of God. You know, very often, and Christians, we, we, we do experience this, so we can't like. Very often, God has a will for us. God has revealed his will, his commandments, you know? And yet we feel within us certain desires tugging against that. This is how God wants me to live, but I have a desire to live this way. And sometimes we go the way of our own desire. And so the Christian looks at all of that and says, the Christian life, it's obvious that what I want is another thing. I don't really, they see these conflating, these confusing desires, these conflicting desires, and say, obviously, I don't want 
God's will, God's way. I don't want holiness. And holiness becomes this burden. But here's what the scriptures say. The scriptures say that the Christian's obedience comes from a place of sonship, of, of, of being a child. And what, you know what a child does? A child loves the will of their father. Because of the Holy Spirit in us, we love the ways of God. Temptation is real. If you want, remnant sin is real, is real. And so we still struggle with our own sinfulness, our own sinful nature, if you want. But the Holy Spirit is real. He's in us. And the truth is, because of the work of the Spirit in us, one, we delight in doing our Father's will. There's delight. There, can, there is and there can be and there will be delight. And two, we are living to please our Father. This is a glorious ambition. It's a glorious aim to live for the glory of God. Um, uh, and there's genuinely a smiling face because he's our Father. He loves us. Bring, so we bring our burdens to him. That's why the Spirit makes us cry out, Father, rather than run away from him or try and hide from him or just murmur and complain, we can go to him. I'm struggling here. I'm weak here. I'm failing here. I'm afraid here. And he lifts us. The other thing the Holy Spirit does, um, Paul says, verse 15, you have received the spirit of adoption of sons by whom we cry, Father. He bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and of children then heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Um, the, the, the Spirit of God assures us that our destiny is glory. Right? He assures us that our destiny is glory, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. What does that mean? What does that, mean? that means when Satan will tempt us to be afraid of the future and, and, or, or, or say, is this worth it? Is it, is it worth it all? Uh, and next week, when we think of, when we look at the last one, we'll, we'll think of something like that. When people say, is, is, is it worth me investing my life in this and giving my, sacrificing my all for this? One of the things the Spirit does for us is he shows us that we are joint heirs of Christ and we are heirs of, we have an inheritance then. We have a heavenly inheritance. That's why, so there's a, there's a hymn, this is the Asian, this is a fairly archaic way of stating this, but it says, Eternal glories beam afar to nerve my faint endeavor. You, you catch that? Eternal glories, they're afar. I see them, they're the, they're, but, they're, 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 but they're glistening. They're shining for, in the distance. And what they do is they nerve. It's an ancient way of saying they strengthen. They inject energy into my faint endeavor, into my weak effort. Right? It, I'm, I'm weak, I'm struggling, but then I look up and I see the promise. I'm weak, I'm struggling, and the world is like, ah, oh, come, 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 come to the, like, why would you be going after this invisible, this thing you can't see, you can't receive, and living a separate life in the way that you are? Come and join us and in, our, in our vanity fair. Come and join us and have a, a ball, have a party with us. And we're tempted, and we say, should I, should I stop here for rest and drink and eat with them? And then we see in the distance, by the Holy Spirit, we see those eternal glories afar. And we say, no, 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 this is actually, not, this, is, this is nothing. This is fading. And they strengthen our endeavor. So the response to the, to, to, to the Christian life, and the, the, the Christian who is, who is wary because they know the Christian life is, is tough, is challenging, 
uh, and who's, uh, who is walking in the spirit of slavery now, which is inducing all kind of fear, is to actually walk in the spirit. Is to remember that you have the Holy Spirit in you. And the Holy Spirit assures you that your son, the Holy Spirit, assures you that you have eternal promises. Now, how do we appropriate this? What's God's design? What's God's plan for helping us experience in depth, sorry, experience richly the power of the Holy Spirit? It's faith. So, we already have the Holy Spirit, it's true. But the, one of the, the differences between, one, one difference at least between our, or, or one, the gap between our, the presence of the Spirit in our lives and our ever-increasing, deepening experience of His grace and power is the exercise of faith. Faith is the instrument by which we appropriate the promises of God and lean on the Spirit and rest in His power. And so, uh, this is a, is a good time to turn. Uh, uh, so as far as the cure for, 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 for dealing with spiritual depression often, in this case of spiritual depression, yes, it's, the, it's about relying on the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to point us to Christ. Absolutely, that's the solution. But one of the, way, one of the things we can further say is, how does God do that? God does that by using this gift of grace, which is the instrument of faith. So vital to appropriating the promises and comforts that God has for us in our Christian life is the instrument of faith. And if we don't realize this, if we don't recognize this, it may be that we are in a bad place, that we're struggling, that we're not receiving the support, if you want, or we're not growing as we should, we're not being encouraged as we should, because we're not exercising faith as we should. And Lord Jones speaks quite, um, he speaks quite, if you want, practically, pointedly about faith. And I'm, I'll do that to close now. And um, he, he, as I mentioned in, in opening, he's, he's exploring those gospel stories, and he's making application from them. He's making application from the Peter seeing Christ walk on water, asking to come, start to walk, and then sinking and demonstrating weak faith. By the way, this is not like a conclusion you jump to there, right? Jesus Christ literally says, you had little faith. Or the disciples in the boat, storms are raging. It does look like they will die, but Jesus is in the boat with them. So where is their faith, Christ says, when he awakens? And he uses it to say some very things. And I, and I found this so insight, so helpful. So I said it's a helpful corrective because, and I don't know if this, this is, at least it's a personal thing. I think it's worth saying anyway, whether it's true for you or not. In recent times, my only interaction with faith or, or my interaction with faith, I think, and with the idea of faith has often been um, imbalanced in a sense. So I, if you, I was raised, raised in, a, in, a, in a kind of Christian setting where very often, the kind, a lot of the preaching you heard, especially from the popular preachers at the time in that context, kind of abused the meaning of biblical faith. Um, like faith was like a, 
um, faith was like this, it's like, faith was like an amulet. It was like a charm, like magic. You know, you just use it magically and you get what you want. You know, you use it to get your prosperity. So, you know, prosperity gospel teaching is also very often referred to as the word of faith. And so the faith, 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 there's a lot of talk about faith, but it's very often not a biblical description of faith. And so I was raised there, but came out of that and coming out of that and seeing the error of that and the abuse of that, you know, um, I went to, uh, you know, I came to another way of understanding faith, which is a far more helpful way, but it doesn't quite reflect the totality of the Bible's teaching on faith. That is, to understand faith, if you want, purely as the instrument of saving faith or of justification. In fact, that word instrument comes from, um, at least I know, Reformed teaching on justification. Very often, when, when Reformed folks are teaching on justification, we say faith is the instrument by which we receive um, the, uh, the, the justification from, from Christ. is an instrument by which we receive. Faith is just an instrument. It's not actually a work uh, by which we, are, we, we receive Christ's righteousness and so on. Um, and that's true. But, but what happens there is you start to think of faith purely in terms of, a, of saving faith. So faith is simply that by which I, came, I come to entrust my life to Jesus Christ and receive his saving grace and power, right? That's all that faith becomes. But, of course, uh, there's one more sense in which the Bible uses faith, and that is in the sense of in which uh, 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 um, Lloyd-Jones is speaking today, faith in the sense of an activity by which we live the Christian life, like a, the power in which we live the Christian life, it, it, the way by which we draw power to live the Christian life. We walk by faith and not by sight. Okay, and, and, and so it's important for us. We don't want to, we want to we reject the wrong extremes, but we need to also realize that there is, that the Bible calls us to live by faith, and this is something that should characterize our lives. Um, so, for example, I, and I, I mean, the point is to make sure that our faith is a biblical faith. Very often today, what people call faith is not biblical. And why, what's the big difference? Is that it doesn't surrender to the leading of Jesus Christ. It, has no, it doesn't have the lordship of Christ. Very often what people call faith is just, today, is just serving their own self, their own desires. You know, people, people treat faith, they, 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 yeah, they're just concerned about themselves. They, 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 want, they believe for whatever they want, and they think that's faith. I just believe I'm going to do this. But Christian faith, is, this is the distinctive, is completely surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. So we, we believe only according to how Jesus allows us to believe, according to how the scriptures design. Sometimes the scriptures tell us to believe in such a way that we're not entirely sure that we're going to receive what we believe for, in, the, in, in that way anyway. Uh, but we, we, what, what we receive from it is the experience of, of trust. So, for example, you're praying for a sick person. You ought to believe that God can heal, absolutely. And so you pray. But... 
it's very unlikely that it's, it's, it's consistent with biblical teaching to say that, you know, um, I must, that person will definitely be healed. That, 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 that's, that's a fact. They're definitely going to be healed. I know that for a fact. There's no way in which anything else can happen. That's not biblical faith because biblical faith will always acknowledge the sovereignty of God. I remember someone once telling me, um, I remember someone once telling me that they, they were teaching about faith and they were teaching, they said, listen, you need to have faith. Uh, so let's say you're, they said, listen, let's say you're jo- you don't have a, a job and you're, you're believing God for work. The, guy, the person said, I had so much faith. I, I used to, I would wake up in the morning. I had no job, but I wake up in the morning, wear a suit, take a briefcase, walk to the bus stop and be heading to work. I had no job, but I would do that. And see, that was faith. And they were so happy with their, you know, faith. It's not faith, it's madness, right? It's not, it's not biblical faith. Biblical faith can pray for work, believe that it will get work. But you don't have to involve yourself in this hocus pocus. You, can, you trust the sovereignty of God. Well, once we uh, know what biblical faith is, then we can say some helpful things, pertinent things for the Christian life. So walk in my faith. Um, is that screen gone? So none of you, because you're too scared to speak or... Do you want to, you want me to, you want to keep, you sorted something, Mary? You sorted it, okay. Um, anyway, sorry, apologies. Um, but yes, so, but look, and this is where Lord Jones is helpful because from a biblical sense, he gives us some helpful counsel regarding uh, faith and how this can be of much use to helping us during seasons of spiritual depression. So from the story in Matthew 14, for example, the account in Matthew 14, um, where um, Jesus Christ tells Peter to come and, and walk, or Peter asks to come and walk, uh, but, but eventually finds himself sinking, and our Lord rebukes him for his, um, his little faith, or you of little faith, why did you doubt? He says, listen, it's important to learn that faith is often tried. Um, faith will often be tried. Faith, faith, will, will, faith can go through trials. And, and that's also from even um, the, the, the other story in Luke chapter 8 as well. This was their faith. Their faith was being put to the test. And we'll see a bit more of that next week as well. Remember what Paul, Peter says in, in 1 Peter 1, that, that our faith is, is, is tried by fire or or, or a like gold, which is tried by fire. But faith is even more precious than that. So your faith is bound to go through trial. And so just because we go through trial in the Christian life doesn't mean that there's no faith. That's the time for faith to rise. But very often, what Christians find is when they come across a, we come across a, 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 an obstacle in the Christian life, all of a sudden, we're not enjoying, we don't feel like we're enjoying spending time with God as we used to, or we're having issues in the church, or you know, we're not feeling strong enough to resist the sin the way we used to. We think that's the time to just, we start to lose composure and say, my faith can't be real because I'm going through trial, I'm going through testing. I'm, no, but faith will be tried. And it's important for us to remember that. And also that, that the presence of doubt, presence of doubts doesn't mean our faith is not genuine. So um, 
Lloyd-Jones takes that from seeing Peter actually walk, thereby demonstrating genuine faith, but then doubting, right? Um, uh, he says, and you must realize in the Christian life that there can be doubts. There, will, there can be doubts, and, 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 and serious and strong doubts. And, you know, pastorally, it's very important to know how to respond to this. Sometimes Christians almost become so blind to this. So yes, our Lord's word is yes and amen. In fact, Jesus Christ is our amen. One thing that means is the Christian life is one place and the church and is one place where there is just a lot of certainty. And that's why people despise us as well. One of the reasons that we're going to get despised because Christians really are certain, feel so certain about a lot. God made the world. There is a God. God's word is true. Um, think of it today. God made man male and female. We're so sure. Uh, babies in the womb are actually human and not simply an extension of, of the, 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 the woman's body who carries them. We're so certain about that. We're so sure. Jesus Christ is the only way. And these certainty, people don't like the way we, we deal with certainty. And that's a, good, that's, that's a good thing. In fact, where you don't have that, you don't have, you, have, you, should, you, should, you should run. And yet, I mean, first of all, the Christian life is not God's word anyway. And yet, but, but in the Christian, as a person, us person, as people, we can have doubts. That can happen. You have to be very careful. Even though I'm not saying doubts are a good thing, I'm not saying doubts don't come because of sinfulness at times. I'm not saying doubts don't come because we are weak and Satan is attacking us. But Christians can have doubts. And we must be very careful not to simply run roughshod, to, to, to be harsh and to, to, to brutalize Christians who experience and express doubt. Sometimes, you know, people that we, Christians express doubt and they're shut down so quickly. And there's no compassion and there's no care. And, you know, yes, we, we, we're concerned. Yes, we want to help guide those Christians through. But Christians can have doubt and it's fine to express that. And there can be genuine faith, even though there's serious doubt. Genuine faith when someone says, I just don't feel like God cares about me. Genuine faith. And someone says, I just wonder where God is. I just wonder why God would let that happen. How can you read the book of Job, a righteous man, and not appreciate that? How can you read the Psalms and not see that? I'm not saying these are the right things. So someone says, I don't believe God cares about me. They're wrong in a sense of, no, well, they're confessing how they feel. We know God cares about them, but they can't feel that. They can't see it. You know, sometimes just like Jesus Christ is in the boat, this is not Martin Jones again, just like Christ in the boat, quiet while there's a storm. God can be quiet while there's storms in our life, while there's trials, and it can seem like he's unconcerned, right? And so there can be doubt. I mean, although we do have to ask ourselves, Lord Jones says this, is it possible that we have created our doubt? So he gets this from the fact that Peter actually asked to walk, right? Lord, if it's you, bid me to come. So Christ says, Listen, come and walk on the water. He's walking. But what happens? Peter starts to look um, at the waves, at the winds. Right? And so Lord John says, Peter actually created his own doubt himself. When he was fixed on Jesus, he's walking strongly, but he decided to look at the wind, and that's when doubt seeped in. And he says, There can be doubts, but we must be careful that we haven't created these doubts ourselves. You know, sometimes by, by, by omission. 
failing to be around the people of God. You see that very often. People experiencing doubt, and it correlates with times when they've been prioritizing other things over their Christian life. Too much, you know, a lot of work, but little fellowship. Um, so make sure we haven't created our own doubts. Um, either way, the point is, we can't let our doubts control us. That's what faith does. This is what faith does. Faith is not the absence of doubts, but it's the uh, unwillingness to let those doubts be the major player to control, be the controlling factor. You say, no, I believe God's word above my doubts. Right? Um, that's what faith does. Uh, faith, faith, faith says, listen, God is greater than my doubts. Doesn't let his doubts control us. You know what? I just realized that I'm looking at, but you've gone to that one, right? Okay, and you go go back. Yeah, Mary, you go back as well. I'll be one else living there. Right? Faith doesn't let the doubts control. So the, uh, in Matthew 14, the true source of great faith is a steady, continuous knowledge of and resting in the presence and power of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the point my Lloyd-Jones makes in regards to doubts is, listen, Peter's looking at Jesus Christ and he's walking on water. When he looks at the winds, he starts to sing. Because the true source of great faith is focusing on Christ. Keep a steady gaze on Jesus, a continuous gaze. Not when I started, I started looking at Christ, and now I'm looking at other things. That's very often the cause of, 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 of weakness in the Christian life. We start rejoicing in the cross and in Christ and all who he is, and then years down the line, we start to look for other things. We start to, um, we start to look for, uh, for healing, for gifts. We start to focus more on, on, on justice than we focus on Jesus. Uh, we start to focus more on um, whatever it is. We, we, we fix our eyes. We take our eyes off Jesus. Um, we, we continue to look at Jesus Christ. He's the one that gives us strength. Other, other sorry, I actually did this, yeah, the wrong way around. So those, those points are the points that uh, Lloyd-Jones makes from, from Matthew. From Luke chapter 8, he, he says, so, so the Luke 8 story, disciples in the boat, asleep. Sorry, Jesus is asleep, and there's a raging storm. And they, they start to panic, as though Christ is not present. Start to lose, they're losing it, right? Lloyd-Jones actually says in the book, Spiritual Depression, you know, a Christian should never lose it like this. You should never lose it as though your, your Savior is not on the throne. As though your, your God is not present, but they 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 really uh, they're losing it. Don't don't you care that we perish? We're perishing. Um, and he says, Jesus Christ awakes and rebukes the waves. But Jesus Christ says, "Where is your faith?" You know what that means, right? So Jesus is saying to them. You didn't demonstrate faith. If you had demonstrated faith, you wouldn't be panicking like this. I imagine that Jesus Christ is saying, if you, uh, if you had faith, you would wait. I don't, I don't think Christ is saying if they had faith, they, they would still the storm. But you'd have trusted that I'm here. There's no need to panic and give up. You would never have thought you were perishing. You'd have exercised faith by calling on me. Savior, deal with this. You'd have known I could deal with this. But where is your faith? You've taken your faith off Jesus Christ. You've not, you've not fixed your eyes on how great is, how great Christ is. 
Um, so Lloyd-Jones says, it reminds us that faith is an activity. It's something you and I have to bring into operation. Now, this, the thing is, I wonder sometimes if those folks in the word of faith understand it more. It's just that they're drawing from an empty account. Right? It's like we both have bank cards at home. But unless you go to the ATM and withdraw, you're not getting no cash. Right? The word of faith folk are like people who they, they take that card and they go and promise, they go they go and apply to buy all kind of thing, but there's no money in the account. But sometimes we are like uh, Christians are like Christians who, who actually have a, a bank card that has all the you know has all the, the resources, all the, the money, but they don't know their pin. Or they don't go to the they don't go to the cash machine, they don't use it. Faith is an act, we actually have to apply it. We, we actually have to f- confront our doubts with faith. Um, and so he says, for example, faith refuses, itself, refuses to allow itself to be controlled by the situation. It's not, it doesn't deny that there's trouble. I don't deny the way I feel. I'm not denying the, 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 the fear. I'm not denying um, the struggle. But I don't let those things control me. I refuse that because of faith. Because faith is not about what my eyes see, but what faith sees. And faith can see that, that God is faithful. Faith can see the promises. And then remind yourself, you remind yourself of what you believe and what you know. Where is your faith? Jesus Christ says to the disciples. Where is your faith? Are you not able to see that Christ had done miracles in, before the, in, in front of them before this? Couldn't you see, can't you see that I'm the Son of God? Couldn't you... Remember that. Remind yourself that. And that's what faith does. Very often, right, when we are going through a time, two times of spiritual depression, we let the situation dictate everything to us, rather than reminding ourselves by faith of what we know to be true about the living God. I remember what I said. The Word of God is encouragement, but it's not just any kind of encouragement. It's not motivational speech. It's not self-motivation. This is the very power of God. The power of God. So when you bring the Word of God to bear, when you say, I am God's child. I have the Holy Spirit. When you say Christ died for me, when you say Christ is working, this is faith taking hold of God's truth, reminding itself. And then he says, and then you apply that knowledge to the particular situation. Right? The disciples should have said, Jesus Christ is God. He's very God. He knows what's happening. There must be a reason for this. And then they should have been composed. And then maybe said them. Rather than scream, Master, Master, we're perishing, they just said, oh, Lord Jesus, um, there's a storm, and sit back and watch him deal with it, right? And faith must do that in times of struggle. We must remind ourselves of what we know and, and apply it and bring it to the situation. And so rather than get depressed because I've fallen into this particular sin over and over again, I have to remind myself that Jesus Christ said it is finished, and sin doesn't have dominion over me, and that if I confess myself, confess my, my sin, God is just and faithful to forgive me. I bring that to bear, and I, and I stop, and I say, and I cry out to, to my Father, and I say, Lord, forgive me for my sin. Give me your joy. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. And then I stand up, and I, and I say to myself, no, w- walk out of this door as someone who's free, who, who, know, who knows God accepts him, Christ loves him, not as someone who is condemned. Um, and then faith knows 
that Christ will never let him go. What, what Lloyd-Jones says is, listen, Jesus Christ rebukes the disciples. Where is your faith? But he doesn't let them perish. He doesn't let them sink, right? Even when we have little faith, even when our faith is so absent that Jesus Christ has to say, where is your faith? One thing we know, he will never let us go. He will keep us. He will hold us fast. That is another thing that faith sees as well. Jesus is keeping me. Anyway, um, I've, I've spoken for a lot. Now, let me, let me close just my closing thoughts, right? Um, this is, this is something that I've felt in my mind right through. I've probably said this a number of times, but I felt, I felt it in my mind right through this uh, series, something that Lloyd-Jones stresses over and over again. I've quoted him, actually, at the first quoting, um, closing thought. The great antidote to spiritual depression is the knowledge of biblical doctrine. So, there's one thing that, we, we, that, that you, may, you, may, you have to learn and take away from this. We have to ask yourself, as this series goes through, is how well acquainted am I with, with doctrine? Have I been learning the, um, the, 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 the truth of God's word? Have I been learning the, 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 the truths of our faith? I had to ask myself that uh, even before the series started. Um, am I, am I, because, I, listen, I've read so much doctrine in my, time, in my life now. Um, when I first became a Christian, I had such an affinity. For, I was reading a lot of doctrine and under faith. Um, and then, but, but it's almost like I got to a time when I thought, you know, I've, I've learned enough doctrine. It's not true in the slightest, um, but I almost felt that way. And this, I'm not even talking about a, a purely intellectual thing. Intellectually, that's very untrue anyway. But just from a practical sense, is like I stopped asking myself, I stopped seeing the benefit of knowing the greatness of the truths of the scripture. And you know what? I lost for that a lot of joy. A lot of joy in our faith comes because we are basing it on what is true. Because some, let me give you an example. Let's say your, your, your joy is found in the church, in the people. In the, you start to base your joy on just the people in the church. And that's good, of course. Your brothers and sisters, your brothers should give you joy. But what happens when your church, when church hurts you? When people in church let you down? Because you're, you grounded your understanding of, of the church on people, you stop to see, you, all of a sudden you don't think the church is precious anymore. So such people don't come, they, they stop coming to church. They stop feeling the need to be in church. They, 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 they're okay. They, they, because you're so hurt by this place. Uh, and you, you say, you, you, can't see, you can't even picture that building without being hurt. And that happens, of course. And church hurt would be a good subject to explore at some point. But the point I'm making is, but if your understanding of the church is not fundamentally based on how people act, but on the doctrine what do you say to yourself? This is the pillar on the ground of truth. Don't neglect the gathering of those people. Why? They're the people that Christ purchased with his precious blood. Don't neglect those people. Why? Where they gather, Christ is present. So, is, so are the angels. So is encouragement and comfort and consolation. Don't neglect those people. They are the, they're the theater where God has chosen to display his glory. This is doctrine, though. And, and you can apply it to so many other areas. Make sure that you, if this, if this series teaches you anything, 
take biblical doctrine seriously. Brothers and sisters, we invest our time in so much else, our energy, our, uh, our thinking. We give it to so much. Some of you, can't remember you, the last time you, you picked up a, a book that would help you understand deeper some Christian doctrine. Um, it's not good. It doesn't, it, it, you're not going to grow that way. You need to study the doctrines of the faith. Take them seriously. Start, first of all, with those things that teach you about the doctrine of Jesus, the meaning of redemption and the gospel. Read that. Feast on that. Uh, uh, let that get into you. Understand the meaning of why Christ died, the atonement. Uh, what does it mean that he's the propitiation for our sin? Why does he... Sat- what was all this whole thing about satisfying the law of God? Understand it. Take that into you first. Be a doctrinal Christian. Don't play with that. Um, because when trials come, feelings feelings are not going to keep you in that, in that way. Just, just feelings won't keep you. Or just a high. It's, it's that truth that you know is God's truth. Um, and last two things, faith is a gift of God's grace. So all I've said about exercising faith today and calling us to use our faith, to apply our faith, is not to suggest that um, this is adding to our salvation or this is about trying to earn um, anything before God because even our faith is a gift. So here's the point. I'm telling you, in the face of your depression and your challenges in life as a Christian, you must remember to exercise faith, to believe. You must, rather than allow it control you, you must say, no, actually, Jesus died for me. The Holy Spirit can give me strength. You must let that control you, what the Word says. But I'm saying to you, when you've done that, you need to realize that even the, the, the ability to do that is a, is, a, is a gift. It's a gift of God's grace. Why? Because there's someone else as well who when they're going through their own depression, they don't, they don't, they're not, they're not, the word of God is not coming to their mind. They don't care about the word. Um, they don't care about what Jesus is doing. They don't love Jesus. They don't care about him. It's a gift of God's grace. So, so this is nothing that will make us boast. And that's the difference between genuine faith, biblical faith. One big difference between biblical faith and unbiblical faith is, is, is the humility that spurs from it. I, I remember how being around people who bought into the word of faith, very often they were also so prideful. In fact, some of them were more humble before they became Christians. Like naturally, they'd be more humble. But once they start believing the word of faith, they become, it almost, they almost have to be prideful because they can't ever say anything. They're never on your level anymore. They're always talking in terms of like just, they're always seeing things they don't see, that you can't see. They're always or in the realm, in one realm, or they're always commanding things. You see me sick? No. So they become prideful and boastful, right? But genuine faith humbles you. Because it's a gift of God's grace, not something that you worked up on. And lastly, believe God's word for Christ's sake. What, what, what do I mean by that? Know that the promises that God makes to us are true because he gave us his son for Christ's sake. You can be a sh- so, so sometimes it might not feel like the Holy Spirit is in you and can empower you to, 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 to do this or to, 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 to live this Christian life. But before you think to doubt, think of Christ who died for you. God gave up his son for us. You know you can trust him. You can believe him. God has given us that guarantee. He's given us that assurance. For Christ's sake, um, once your eyes are focused on the cross, once you're believing in Jesus, then you know you're, you're assured, reassured that God's word to you is, is true. God's promises to you are true. Um, Okay, so we're going to sing and then take any questions if you have any.
Um, we are singing, my faith looks up to thee. Um, so you get a white hymn book. I need to get one as well. Let's sing 552, hymn number 552. We'll stand to sing. My faith looks up to thee, thou Lamb of God.
Right, anyone have any questions here? If not, I have just two questions from our live streamers. Sister Miriam. When Peter is, when Jesus Christ says to Peter, "All ye of little faith," is it because Peter is not exercising the faith that he's been given, or is it because he just doesn't have faith? Right? Yeah, I think it's probably the, the former. Um, and I mean, there's no reason why it's not even a mixture of both in a sense. But I'm thinking according to. The other, the, the other passage that you read, where Jesus Christ says, where is your faith? Um, and in that sense, Christ is saying, listen, you, you have faith, use it. But I think it's something about the nature of faith, um, where it's probably not right to say, what, where you might say, in a sense, if you don't have the faith, it's because you haven't built it up. So Peter would be at fault, at fault for not having enough faith to... Um, so, 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 yeah, where is your faith? Or, or, or ye of little faith? What Peter, so Peter has the faith, he hasn't built it up. Right? Uh, yeah, Peter has the faith, he hasn't built it up. It's like, uh, you, you go and play, a, you go and play a, a sport, you're playing a sport, your, your, your manager says to you, you're playing first half, second half. Your manager says, you're, you're, after 15 minutes, you're um, blowing. Like you're not fit. Oh, you can't even, where's your fitness? You can't even run. The, the manager's issue is that you have the capacity to be fit. Like you should have been going running in the week and so on and so forth. But you haven't, right? Um, because of whatever reason you've been negligent. So the only contrast to say is that, is here, is that, Jesus Christ wouldn't say this to an unbeliever, if you want. They don't have the faith. Yeah, is that, that's clear? Yeah. Um, okay. So two online questions. The first one is, how do Christians navigate through worm theology? Only seeing yourself, even in Christ, as disgusting, small, toxic, feeling like my sin is too heavy, which usually leads to depression, feeling overwhelmed. It's a great question. Um, how do Christians navigate through worm theology, only seeing yourself even in Christ as disgusting, small, toxic, feeling like my sin is too heavy, which usually leads to depression, feeling overwhelmed. Um, yeah, as in, I'm, I'm a worm, a desperate Right. Deep, isn't it? Um, you know what? Listen, <laughs> it's interesting. Partially, and this is not the main, this is probably not the major thing, but it's an important thing to say. Partially, it's, I mean, teaching is important, right? Like, Christian ministry, and because we're human, Christians can, ministry can, uh, on one side, like, it can actually have, there can be worm theology because that's, you get worm ministry in a sense. Like, the way the church teaches, emphasizes just that, 
without emphasizing also um, who we are in Christ. Um, and, and understandably, because folks are, 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 are worried about forms of ministry that do the opposite, where they, 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 um, they don't stress enough the fact of man's sinfulness and so on. Um, but yeah, it's important for a ministerial balance and teaching. And listen, uh, what, what you have to do, what you need to do, I mean, you need to feed faith. And you feed faith here by, I just think, a, a holistic, biblical view. You know, the Bible is so far more nuanced than we often are. Like, the Bible doesn't always speak in the exact, and I hope this is not misunderstood, the kind of black and white terms we want to say. Maybe black and white is not the phrase I'm using. But in the lopsided way that we do theology, when you read your Bible properly, uh, so, so that's one thing. Read, read the Bible as a whole. Know that the whole theology of the, of the scriptures would not birth a purely worm theology. They would tell us that we are worms, that um, God, so the human beings are worms who God thought it was worthwhile saving. Christ didn't take on the form of angels. He didn't take on the form of animals either. He took on the form of man. So those are two things. One is a holistic, reading your Bible holistically so you can see um, the sense of worth that human beings have. Men are made in the image of God. Human beings are wonderfully and fearfully made. The other thing is maybe um, is, is having a strong, would you call it incarnational theology, like believing the incarnation. Jesus Christ took on human form. He became as one of us. That elevates the human nature. Um, but let me say this. I think believers should have a great sense of worth. But nothing can give you a more certain sense of worth than believing that all your worth is found in Christ. So apologies if somehow someone has made you think that finding your worth in Christ alone and saying, I'm nothing, Christ is everything, has to make you feel like a worm. That's, that's somehow they've missed the balance. Um, nah, to say it's no longer I, but Christ that lives and the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and died for me, is the greatest sense of worth you can have. So actually, ultimately, the issue there is that you're, you need to fix your sight on Christ. So you stop, you know, so looking at yourself, I'm a worm. When I look at Christ, what does he say? He says, yeah, you're, you are a creature of dust. You are a worm. What's that hymn that has worm in it? Hmm? No? A worm. Huh? Only one would have to go. There's a hymn that has worm in it? I know, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's Job says that, but... Um, Mm, would he devote would he devote a sacred go on Mary <laughs> would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I now but, and that's the point yes you're a worm but he devoted that sacred head that's what the hymn writer says Christ gave his life for me my worth is right through the roof than I could ever have by trying to give myself some sense of worth I'm happy, happy to be a worm if it means that now I'm a joint heir with Christ um, so you're, you're no longer disgusting and small and toxic. That's not, that can't be all that uh, 
summarizes? Summarizes you when Christ has died for you and the Holy Spirit is at work within you um, to make you more like Jesus Christ. Um, and even when your sin is so heavy, Christ died for it, he paid for it. No one has the access to constant cleansing that you have. You're the only one, if you're a Christian, who knows what it's like in this world to be truly pure. Now, it's a, it's a strange complexity of life because a Christian can also feel ashamed. You know, sometimes human, being, human beings do things in, in this world where tomorrow morning they feel dirty, they feel ashamed. I can't believe I did that, right? But you are the only person, if you're a Christian, who has the chance of feeling something like what it is to be pure after that. Every other person in this world has to try and cover it up, make up for it with pleasure, deny. You're the only person as a Christian who can actually face that, confess it, and be told that you're pure because of Christ's words of love. You're better off finding a sense of worth in Christ than you are in anything else. I hope that's helpful. Um, can you recommend any doctrinal books? Can I recommend any doctrinal books? Oof, that's a big question because there's hundreds of doctrinal books. This is what I would say. I would say, uh, thousands of doctrinal books. I would say, I, I always recommend, I'd always recommend, and obviously, I mean, you have to appreciate your, your reading level and so on and so forth. And also, pre pre preliminary point, read your Bible. There's nothing as crucial as that. The Bible is the source of our doctrine. Um, so yes, do that as much as you possible. I, always, I encourage you just, just trying to find the habit of reading through the Bible as much as possible. There's so much in it, but try and just get into it, you know, get the storyline of the Bible, that's really helpful. But as far as doctrinal books are concerned, I always recommend a systematic theology. So systematic theology are, are books where, the, uh, where, where major truths of the faith, if you want, are, are elaborated upon in a systemized form. So, so, for example, you know, the major truth about God and that's systemized for you in such a way like all the, all the Bible's data on God is taken and systemized to say these are the main things that the Bible says about God, his, his attributes and so on. And the same thing is done for, you know, the, nat so it's the nature of God and then for Jesus and then for the cross. And all that the Bible has to say about that is taken and systemized into one place. I always recommend, recommend a good systematic theology. There's very good ones. Um, but systematic theologies literally go from being quite advanced. If you're an advanced reader, there's certain that you can, there's certain, certain that you would, yeah, that I would recommend instantly to um, beginner. So if you're a beginner reading, beginning reading doctrinal books, you get something like, uh, oof, you get, message me, man. I was going to say, a, a summary of Christian faith by Burkhoff is a good one, but it's, it's older. I'm, I'm just wondering, there must be more, more but yeah, Burkhoff is great. So a summary of Christian doctrine by Burkhoff. Um, uh, J.I. Packer. What Jay, what's J.I. Packer's like famous good book? This famous book he has. Huh? J.I. Packer's. Um, come on, come on, Mary. J.I. Packer's book is quite. That's a, that. That'd be a helpful one. Mary's gonna give it to me any second. Yes, J.I. Packer's Knowing God would be. Um, a, a, another good book to start. It's, it's more modern. But there's loads of those. So these are doctrinal books that take you through. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, Packers one is fantastic. Takes you th take you through uh, certain truths. Obviously, as I said, that can become more advanced. Um, 
And then there's another the side to it is if you wanted to focus on a particular doctrine. That's, that one's a bit more hard to, for me to explain here. So let's say you want to focus on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. You know, you, you can pick a book on that. Doctrine of the Atonement, Doctrine of the Cross. There's some books on that. Um, the doctrine. So yeah, so also I would say start with getting a systematic theology. And then, but if you want to focus on a particular doctrine, uh, contact me, contact HERC somehow, and I'll be able to recommend you... Uh, a number of books on whatever doctrine you want to study. Yeah? Okay. Thank you for joining us tonight and uh, look forward to uh, the last study on spiritual depression next Tuesday evening, same time. Let me close us in prayer. Our gracious God, we thank you for your, your word and your truth. Thank you tonight for the gift of faith. Uh, in all the trials of faith that we experience, in all the, the struggles, in, in all our failings sometimes to even exercise our faith. What a privilege to know that we actually have faith and to thank you, Lord, because apart from the life that you've given us, um, we would be dead in our sin and, and not alive to you. But now we, we see you by faith. We believe that you are, we believe that God is, um, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Uh, but Lord, please continue to strengthen our faith. We hear our Savior and how he laments and rebukes the, the doubts that crowd um, his disciples' lives and their failure to, to trust him as they ought to. Help us to exercise our faith. Help us to increase in faith, to believe your word, um, to, 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 to fix our eyes on Jesus uh, so that we can walk as he walked in this world. Uh, hear us, we pray, Lord, and we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.